Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar. We are in season two, covering the Half-Blood Prince, doing things a little differently as we do. We're already reading the series backwards, and this season, we are just giving you one chapter at a time, a short 15 to 20 minutes. That way you can pop in, enjoy your day with us, and then pop on out. I am, of course, here with Valerie, my amazing co-host, how are you, Valerie? I'm good. I'm good. It's a very nice day here, as you can see if you're watching us on YouTube, which, by the way, I don't think we ever mentioned, we are available on YouTube if you're a YouTube listener, watcher, whatever. You're on, we're on your podcast players. We're on your YouTube. We're everywhere. You know, most people don't realize that. Anyway, I'm good. Uh, but yeah, it's very, very sunny and very warm here today, which is really nice. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I had a pretty nice day today. It's a little muggy out, but I do live in North Carolina, so that does happen. It does happen. I'm excited to be here, though. Yeah. So I noticed you're wearing blue, so you're channeling Ravenclaw today. And I have yellow nails, which is me having my inner Hufflepuff come through, I think. Uh, We're just not quite in our normal houses, but that's okay, because everyone is a little bit of all four houses, I like to think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I was giving me another house, it would definitely be Ravenclaw all day. Just let me sit in there and talk about stuff. Obviously, it's what we do here, so. (laughs) I would never get in because the quiz questions to get through the door are just too hard, (laughs) as we discussed last season. (laughs) And I like to think I'm a Ravenclaw. Yeah, that's okay. I'd let you in. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Yeah, just be hanging out outside the door. I'd be like Neville. I'd be the Neville equivalent in Ravenclaw. I'm just going to get let in because I don't know the password. I just don't believe that, but... (laughs) a nice it's a funny thought (laughs) give me an easy one yeah okay so uh as a reminder if you are listening for the very first time please go back and start episode one it's not going to make sense if you jump in part way through and you're just going to have a better time and we're on episode six so you got a really good little binge session going if you just jump back a few and start over this week we are covering chapter 25 which is the seer overheard one of my favorite chapters in this book Mm, that's exciting all right let's dive in So this chapter takes place at Hogwarts, where we find Ginny and Harry relaxing together. They have announced their relationship and the school is buzzing with gossip. Harry is momentarily happy and obsessed with finding moments to spend alone with her. One night in the library, Harry is summoned by Professor Dumbledore. On his way to visit his office, he finds Professor Trelawney with empty bottles of sherry in her hands and scattered on the floor. She has just been kicked out of the room of requirements by an unknown individual. During her telling of the story, she also speaks the first time she was interviewed for the job at Hogwarts, when Snape was found listening at the door, where we know he heard the first half of the prophecy. Harry, learning new information that it was Snape that heard the prophecy, in a rage, he confronts Dumbledore, who then insists, no, he trusts Snape and does not want to hear any more about it. He, however, is on his way to find a Horcrux, and as he promised, invites Harry. The chapter ends with them apparating out of Hogsmeade. Yep. And as we're reading the book backwards, we always start with the last sentence, and that is, 
At once, there was a horrible sensation that Harry was being squeezed through a thick rubber tube. He could not draw breath. Every part of him was being compressed almost past endurance. And then, just when he thought he must suffocate, the invisible band seemed to burst open and he was standing in a cool darkness, breathing in lungfuls of fresh, salty air. Mm. Yeah, I would not do well with apparating. I would definitely get sick. <laughs> no, me neither. Sounds like a panic attack in a half second. It just does not sound pleasant to me. Ooh, yeah, totally. That's a good way to describe yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, but as I was saying before, I, I wanted to read the last sentence before I got really excited. I love this chapter because it is a knowledge bomb. There is so much information that gets conveyed in this chapter. We get the room of requirement. We get Trelawney's pr- prophecy. We learn about Snape being the one who heard it. We get entrance to like Horcrux understanding about, you know, Harry and Voldemort and all. there's just so much to cover in here and it just goes really quickly and I what I what I kind of like too is it happens so fast that Harry can't even process it all just like we don't really it's like when you're reading and I mean you might remember this but when these books came out people would like read them all in one night the first night they came out and you read it so fast that you miss everything and that's exactly kind of how it hits Harry and I like that really intense feeling that Harry's having that the reader is also having as they get all this information given to them. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of tension because you want Terry to continue his thought process and tell Dumbledore, no, we really got to take care of this. And instead, we just we have to keep being pushed, which creates uh, that really amazing tension. Mm -hmm. Okay, so before we get into the serious bits, I would like to point out that we finally have the answer to Harry's tattoo question that you asked back last season in the Seven Potters chapter, which was how did Ron know to ask whether or not Harry had a chest tattoo? And it is in this chapter that it is revealed that Ginny has been spreading rumors that Harry has a Hungarian horntail tattoo. It is, uh, yep, yep, it's all Ginny. (laughs) Oh, another reason I love this book so much. Like we get sassy, amazing Ginny and it is, I'm just here for it. Like, She's so confident, and that is not movie Jenny. She's so confident, so sassy, and so witty. Like, she's had, what? what is it, five, six brothers? Like, she has all brothers. She's the youngest. She is quick-witted. She is sharp. Like, she is funny. She is tough. Like, we get to see that, and I just, um, yeah, I love it. She gets, like, the best of all of her brothers, partially because they, like, test her mettle with each of their own characters, right? So she learns all these different pieces, and she gets the funny bit from Fred and George, and she gets the loyalty from different different brothers, and, you know, I just, yeah, I agree. I love when she's, like, she scoffs, like, oh, Ron, I have your permission to date Harry. No, I don't. I do what I want. Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't tell me who I do and don't date. Like, we've established that. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, like, this is not a thing. <laughs> it is immediately, immediately much lighter of a chapter, which was uh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're moving into that part of the book, finally. <laughs> After a book and a, a third or a book and a quarter, we are finally going to get to some of the funnier, more, not, I mean, they're serious to the characters, like, love lives and things are important to all teenagers, but from our adult perspective, it's a little bit lighter than the Hunt for Horcruxes was. <laughs> yeah. A lot lighter. (laughs) So the first thing is, of course, Harry finding out that it is then Professor Snape who was there when Trelawney, which she doesn't even realize she did a an actual prophecy. I still don't quite understand that, although I guess it adds a little bit of like complexity and funniness to the story of Professor Trelawney. But I just can't imagine being a kid and he keeps 
As his life goes on, he keeps finding all these bomb drops, like, oh, they weren't killed in a car crash. Oh, they were betrayed by their best friend. Oh no, they were betrayed by their other best friend and the best friend that was loyal to them got stuck in Azkaban and had to live this horrible life and he could have been loving me this whole time. And now he finds that the professor that always gives him the hardest time, that hates his guts, he, he thinks, is the one that delivered the message to Volumor himself that was the ripple that started, or at least part of the ripple that started, you know, him being the chosen one and his parents being killed, like, and being a teenage boy, all, all that happening. And then can you imagine the rage? Like, oh, that's, that's tough. Yeah, I mean, I think to me, what I get in this chapter is the reality that Snape is such a pivotal part of Harry's story. And we obviously know that to be the case because we're going backwards and we say that a lot like, oh, we see it because we have that perspective and likely everyone listening has read all the books and knows that as well. But it's like, Snape is not just some minor villain who's not really related. He is central character. He's core to the fact that Harry becomes the chosen one and is marked by Voldemort and that the final battle has to happen at all. Without Snape, none of it would have happened. If the prophecy had never been heard by Snape, if it hadn't been Snape, if it had been any other Death Eater, Voldemort might not have believed it to the same extent, right? It's it's all because it's Snape. And Snape has all these abilities that he sort of uses to his advantage to both stay alive and to serve Dumbledore and to keep Harry alive, even though he doesn't really love, he doesn't certainly doesn't love Harry, but he doesn't really want Harry to be alive. I mean, in some ways, he's like, I would trade the son for the mother. You know, it's all about Snape, really. And that's what I think is an interesting thing in the book is that we're seeing as we move backward that this is a story of Snape, too. It's not just a story of Harry. It's a story of Snape and on his character developing and how far that comes. And we learn these pieces every time there's a knowledge bomb. It's usually something to do with Snape. Yeah, you know, I love that you said that. You're right. It does. It does always have Professor Snape in it. And I'm excited to read this chapter because you're right, or this book, because it is about him. And it's so interesting to think about Snape's life and all the things that he has done and all the different parts that just this whole world was created by because of all these people making these little bitty, these little bitty movements in their life. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you know me, I could go into dive into Snape all day long. I won't do that. But um, yeah, I feel like there's this line in the last chapter or the lightning struck tower which is sort of related to this chapter because that's the card that Trelawney keeps pulling when she's reading the cards about the future anyway where Malfoy says he's he's a double agent he's not working for you he just acts like he is and I'm like he's not a double agent he's like a quadruple agent he's like a quintuple agent like he's an agent on an agent like Malfoy you have no idea how much this man is covering up and how many people he's covering for like no wonder he is so unpleasant because he's 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 living all these different lies and all these different stories and none of them are him we talked about that none of them are actually who he wants to be he wants to be the man that lily loved as a as a, a brother or as a potential boyfriend or whatever like he wants to be that good man and he ends up being this man and he doesn't love himself for that yeah yeah i, I imagine i i just can't imagine how incredibly lonely and isolating and maybe we've talked about, about that before but how isolating his life was and that is because of mistakes he made as a young kid, as a teenager, um, in a very conflicting, very confusing world. And he is literally paying for his mistakes. We've, oh, and I know we've talked about this, but he's paying for these mistakes that he made as a young teenager and trying to repair this thing he did for years and years to come, which causes him to lead just a very lonely, bitter life. Mm -hmm. In some ways, he and Dumbledore are quite similar like that. And we talked about that too, where Dumbledore sees these young men and, and re realizes how easy it is for them to make terrible mistakes. And they are just mistakes and they shouldn't define their lives. And so he's with each of these men, you know, with Malfoy, with Harry, with Snape at a different stage of life, trying to show them 
you get to choose who you get to who you want to be going forward. Yeah, you can make a mistake. I made mistakes. Like he doesn't really say that, but he we know he does. And you you don't have to go down that path any longer than you want to follow it. You can you can turn away, and I, I'll be there if you want to turn away. Yeah, yeah. Dumbledore's seen a lot. I think he's seen so many people do that, and I I do like that he's constantly trying to do that. Gosh, he did that for Snape. He does that for everyone. He's constantly trying to save people from their own selves. Yeah. Interestingly, though, in some ways, he only the only one I can't think of him doing that for, and we obviously haven't gotten to that chapter in this book, is he doesn't really do it for Tom Riddle. Or maybe he does and we just don't see it, but he does not necessarily say, Tom, I see where you're going and you don't have to go that way. He wants him to see that, but I don't know. It's like, maybe I'm not remembering that part right, but I don't feel like Dumbledore has that same level of understanding for Tom Riddle as a young man turning to the dark arts that he does for others. So I I disagree. I think that it's for Tom Riddle. It happened at such a young age. So when he goes and gets him from the orphanage, he literally says, you don't have to be this way. He sees the deeds that he's done and he doesn't know for sure, right? He has inklings that he's done even worse things. And I feel like he tells him, because I think he even says like, if you're coming, you can come, but I won't stand for any of this. You know, and I, so I do think he tried and I feel like there's a couple other parts where he tries to change his ways, but it's almost like it was too late. And so maybe that's, maybe that's what he's always trying to do with other people is catch them before it's too late and fix what he did with Tom Riddle. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we do know that for some humans, their nature is just violent and angry. I mean, they do can go into prisons and find people like that. Yeah, there's nature and there's nurture in most criminality. If we think of Voldemort as just a criminal being a real bad guy, but some people have a total disregard for respect for human life or, you know, and Tom Riddle does display a lot of that in his younger years, much younger than any of the other characters in this story. Yeah. You know, I still, I still would argue that it was mostly nurture that did that to him though, because he did have such a traumatic childhood at a very, very young age. And of course, you know, so did Harry. So, you know, we could argue, (laughs) we could argue that, but you know, maybe, yeah, maybe he was more predisposed to having a darker nature, but maybe in a world where he lived, you know, his nurture was good and loving, he wouldn't have gone that way. You almost have to wonder what the worst situation is. Is it the orphanage? Is it the Dursleys? Or is it Snape's family where his parents fight all the time and don't show him any affection? All three of those are terrible situations for children to be brought up in. And yet Harry has a good nature and that is somehow able to endure his trauma. And Snape comes out sort of mixed, right? He does good and he does bad. And in the end, he does have a good heart, but he has a hard time living that truth. And then Voldemort maybe has a darker, it comes from the darker part of the spectrum. And so it just pushes him further that direction. And maybe, again, it was that womb, you know, Harry had a good mom. So it was that love, love from the beginning, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, parenting matters. I mean, that's pretty evident (laughs) in life. Yeah, well, no, I just mean the womb too, you know, like maybe he had all the love in the womb. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so I want to bring something kind of funny. So we have Professor Trelawney and she's drunk. She's got, you know, bottles of sherry in her hand on the floor everywhere. And she starts to tell the story. And all I can think about is poor Professor Dumbledore. Because she even says like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't go see him because I'm getting on his nerves. Because she keeps talking about, you know, dark and doom. Which she apparently did pull the right card, the lightning struck tower. So it wasn't completely wrong. But he doesn't want to hear about it anymore. You know, whether, whatever the reason is, she is getting on his nerves. And all I can think about is all those years ago is that he heard that that prophecy and Snape heard the prophecy 
And ever since then, he has to keep this woman safe because somebody else heard this prophecy and he doesn't want anyone else to hear it. And, you know, he even said, all professors at, you know, Hogwarts will have a home with me. But really, he had no choice but to keep her safe, no matter how, you know, much of a, a quack or annoying everyone thought she was. And apparently Dumbledore thinks she was too. So I just, I don't know. I think it's just kind of funny. Like, it's almost like his punishment. <laughs> It's actually kind of interesting because it suggests that even though she doesn't remember giving the prophecy, someone could extract that memory from her. Like Voldemort could do a memory charm and get the prophecy out of her. So he, so Dumbledore has to keep her in Hogwarts where she can't be accessed by Voldemort. Right. Yeah. Or the prophecy. Because yeah, I guess you're right. Because the same prophecy wouldn't come out twice. But I guess you're right. He would be able to extract the memory. Interesting. I always thought that was weird that she doesn't remember the prophecy. Maybe it's just part of her. It makes it funnier. Well, she goes into a trance. She like actually is not in herself. Like it isn't even her own voice. She has that other prophecy about Peter Pettigrew escaping and going back to the Dark Lord at the end of, uh, well not end, but two thirds of the way through Prisoner of Azkaban. And she doesn't remember that either. Right. Yeah, there's a whole other branch of magic, divination, that we don't really get a good sense of because it is Trelawney and she isn't, she is, she's like 97% a quack. <laughs> um, but then she has like the 3% that's really super important to the story and really, really needs to be protected. <laughs> Cool. Well, did you have anything else from this chapter? I did not. Did you? Nope. That's it for me. This was a this was a good one. I like this one. I always like getting all that information and chewing on it. So. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I am excited for the future chapters. So. Yeah. Now we move back into the lighter stuff and the different pieces of Tom Riddle's backstory and all that good stuff. So with that, we will wrap it up and get to those episodes shortly. And we hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, we would love to have your ratings and reviews, five-star ratings, reviews. You can leave them on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also leave them as comments on YouTube if you're watching us on YouTube. And you can find us on social media. Yep. Head to Instagram. We are Bell Jar Pod. Uh, we're also on TikTok and Twitter. If you want to, feel free to send us an email. It is podcast at follow the butterflies. Follow the butterflies is an incredible website that Valerie has created. It is a world of magic, everything Harry Potter you could possibly want. So you should check that out as well. I am so glad you all joined us and I hope you will stop by and listen to us tomorrow. Yeah. And before we forget, if you want to share this podcast with someone or share the beginning of the season with someone, how about you share it with somebody who would have had dragon heartstring as their wand core? Or you know they have dragon heartstring as their wand core if they've told you that. Hit that little share button, send it on over to them, say, I think you're going to love this, my dragon heartstring core friend. And hopefully they'll join us for a future episode just like you. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.